You're listening to the Sermon Podcast for the Peak Church, located in Apex, North Carolina. Our church is striving to welcome all who are feeling disconnected from God. And so our hope is that over the next several minutes, you will connect with the God that we are talking about, and you'll resonate deeply with the life that this God wants for you. We hope you enjoy. Well, friends, good morning again to you. Uh, welcome back for another week of our most recent sermon series that we've been in for the last couple of weeks. For those of you for whom you're tuning in for the very first time online, or this is your first time back uh, as we've engaged the sermon series, uh, here to start 2022, uh, we started off with a sermon series called Reform. Reform. The whole goal of this sermon series was to spend several weeks revisiting uh, many of the reforms Jesus tried to make to our faith, uh, tried to make to the ways in which we relate with God and engage in spirituality and engage with religion. And the reason why we thought it was important that we engage those conversations 2,000 years removed from Jesus is because if you've spent any time in church lately, you know that many of those reforms didn't last very long. Uh, There's a number of reforms, a lot of things that Jesus tried to fix within uh, his body, within the uh, organized religion that didn't take, um, that if you step into many churches today, you will find them practicing things that Jesus tried to correct, Jesus tried to fix. And so the whole goal of the sermon series, quite frankly, is to make sure that the Christianity we are practicing actually has the Christ in its name, Right? Again, if you're just tuning in for the very first time, uh, we've covered a whole range of topics. We've covered a whole range of topics, a whole bunch of reforms that Jesus made during his earthly ministry. Anywhere from uh, Jesus' reformations to the ways in which we read and interpret scripture. So maybe that's something that you've struggled with or wrestled with whenever you step into some churches today. Uh, We uh, talked about Jesus' reforms he made to sin. What qualifies as sin? What definition of sin is Jesus working with? You sort of boil it all the way down. What behaviors, what life, uh, what things do we do and not do that is actually offensive to God, not offensive to my grandmother, but like offensive to Jesus, right? Right? And so we've covered a whole range of those, and as we enter into the final two weeks of the sermon series, so uh, we're into the home stretch. I really think we've saved probably two of the most important reforms for last. These next two weeks, including today, I think we're going to tackle probably two of the most influential and uh, impactful reforms Jesus tried to make during the course of his earthly ministry. The first of which is this. So today what we're going to talk about, as you heard just a couple moments ago from uh, scripture that Megan just read, is one of the reforms that Jesus tried to make, that he really, really tried to infuse in the body, in organized religion, was his reformation to the way in which we typically conceive of salvation. Salvation. Now, that's just fancy churchy talk for, like, at the end of the day, who's in and who's out? Who gets to experience eternal life and who does not? You hear a language, uh, in some churches, they use the language of saved. Who's saved and who's not? Are you saved? Sort of language. And so, I actually want to back up. I want to back up a minute. I want to capture a little bit of the broader context of this conversation so that you know a little bit of the landscape that we're engaging today. Sound good? So, broadly speaking, when it comes to the topic of salvation and eternal life, uh, there is a spectrum that looks like this. A spectrum that on the far end on this side, you've got the particularists, and it's hard to say fast, and on this end, you've got the universalists. And very, very broadly speaking, 
particularists are those folks you interact with who uh, have a very narrow view of salvation, a very narrow view of eternal life. So you see little things as only my tribe, only people who think like me, only people who believe like me, only people who worship like me, only people who come to my particular church. Those are the people who found the real, true Jesus, and they get the real, true salvation. So that's one extreme. On the far end, you've got the opposite extreme. So these are folks who, so the little tagline says, everybody gets in. So they are those who are like, you know what? It doesn't really matter what you believe. It doesn't really matter. It, it doesn't really matter as you live. At the end of the day, all things are going to be redeemed. Everybody's going to be saved. It's going to be wonderful. Most of us on this spectrum fall somewhere in the middle. Fall somewhere in the middle. So here's a couple of other options uh, that exist. So there's uh, the religious particularist. So these are folks who, um, they, they're not going to be those who are so bold to say, like, it's only my way, it's only my church, it's only my denomination. But uh, they are those who say, but like, you do got to be a Christian. Like, I don't know about people of other religions, but you got to be a Christian. Christians are the ones who are saved. Those are the people who get to experience eternal life. There's another notch uh, that's religious universalism. So these are folks who maybe are not as far as a full-blown universalist. They are those who are like, you don't really got to be a Christian, but you got to have like some sort of spiritual life. Like you got to have some sort of belief in God altogether in order to experience salvation. And then inside those, you've got all kinds of more options, right? So then there's like only certain denominations or only Abrahamic religions, only good people get into heaven. So uh, on the broad range of this subject of salvation. Any one of us or any one of anyone you engage with falls somewhere on this map. Now, when I talk to folks uh, who are, I, I might just sort of describe them as outside the church, people who don't ascribe to the Christian faith, most of them, when they describe the Christian faith back to me or their impression of Christianity back to me, their view, their perception of us is that we fall somewhere in here, somewhere in here. Most people outside the church believe that when it comes to the topic of salvation and eternal life, most, they believe about Christians that we believe it's, we are definitely on the more particularist side. That you'll experience some Christians, maybe some of you know them, who are like hardline, like it's only my tribe, it's only my way. And you've got some who maybe make a little bit more room, but they draw the line at sort of at Christianity. What's fascinating about that experience and those conversations I have with folks outside of the church is that it actually doesn't line up with what's actually believed inside the church. A recent poll was done by the Pew Research Center that found that when they polled Christians, so born-again Christians, people who are in church or they're practicing Christianity on a regular basis, nearly 60%, 60% of born-again Christians believe that eternal life is possible outside of Christianity. So I read this, and I was like, well, I'm not Pew Research, but I can do my own poll, thank you very much. So I did one on Instagram, and I found this. So amongst you all, um, this is what the results came back uh, with this question that I posed earlier this week. Can someone find eternal life outside of Christianity? 75% said yes, 25% no. These are folks inside of our church or people who are fans of our church, like my grandmother, uh, who uses this opportunity to weigh in. She's not on Instagram. I'm just kidding. But this is what you see, right? This is what you see. And here's why this whole conversation matters. Here's why this whole conversation matters. I don't care who you are. I don't care who you are. Every single person in this room and every single person who's uh, listening or tuning into this sermon right now has someone in their life who does not ascribe to the same belief system as you do. 
Every one of us does. And for a really long time, Christians have really struggled with how to engage and behave around and think about and talk to those people in our lives. We don't know what to do with them. We don't know how to treat them. And sometimes we do some really harmful and destructive stuff that actually, maybe on accident, turns them farther away from the faith that we hold to. And so the whole purpose of this conversation today is, you know, I wanted to show you that picture. I wanted to show you that because on the sort of grander stage, you've got all these different uh, opinions, you've got all these different perceptions, you've got all these different beliefs as it relates to eternal life and salvation. But the whole goal of this conversation is to say, that's great, that's fine. Your grandmother said this, or your hyper-religious aunt said that, that's fine. But I'm more interested in what Jesus had to say. Amen? That's all we're here. That's how we're here. We want the reforms done to us are the ones, not by me, not by someone else, but by Jesus himself. So what does Jesus have to say about salvation? What does Jesus have to say about who and uh, which pockets of the world will qualify and experience eternal life? Let's go back to our passage. So if you have your Bibles and you want to turn with me, uh, return with me back to John chapter 10. So if you've got them handy or if you've got smart devices at home or such, go back to John chapter 10. Uh, Specifically, we're going to start out, uh, we're going to camp out in verses 11 through 16. And I'm going to give you a little bit of context as to what was happening right before the passage Megan just read. So a little bit of the context of what was happening right before was uh, there was a rather saucy exchange uh, between Jesus and some religious folks, okay? Some hyper-religious folks, the religious leaders and teachers and pastors and priests confronted Jesus because, very, very long story short, There was this blind dude who Jesus healed and gave the ability to see, and the religious folks did not like that very much. And they begin to question it. Like, they question the validity of it. They're like, was he, like, really blind or, like, just, like, a really bad vision? Did he have, like, a sort of 420 situation? Or maybe he just got, like, a bad prescription. He saw a bad optometrist. It happens, right? I got a guy. His name's Frank. I'll show him to you. Like, there's... They're they're discounting at every turn that this really happens because they don't want to believe that something supernatural, that God's grace, that God's healing could occur outside of their institution. That's what they're really mad about. But this blind dude didn't go to them for help, didn't step into the bounds of their religious organization to seek help and healing. He found it outside the church. He found it and got it directly from Jesus. And so they're ticked and hacked off about that. Um, And Jesus, doing what Jesus always does, he leaves a really really snarky remark, and he's like, it's so funny we're having this whole conversation on blindness, because it seems like the only people who are actually blind here are And that leads into the passage you heard Megan read a couple moments ago. So while he's got this audience, he's got this audience of highly religious people, people who know the law, they know the scriptures, they know the customs, they know the traditions, they know all the rules of what gets you into heaven. He's got all these folks who are gathered there because they're hacked off about the blind guy thing. And there's a whole bunch of other folks who are always trailing Jesus, listening in. They don't belong. They've always been casted out. They've always been rejected by the religious establishment. They're listening in too. This is always Jesus' crowd. It's always this big, rich mixture of people who do not belong together. And it's there, in the midst of that crowd, that Jesus has something really powerful to say about the topic we're taking up today, the topic of salvation. He has some really, really powerful things to say about where 
where you and I can experience the saving grace of God. Is it solely within the bounds of organized religion? Is it solely within the bounds of one particular tribe or one particular group? Or is it a little bit more fluid than that? Jesus says this. So he says this, uh, he's using the analogy of a sheepfold, uh, a, a sort of like a, a pasture land. Uh, so he's, in John chapter 10, verses 14 through 16, he says this. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep, and they know me. And then he has this really, really provocative, mysterious line where he says, I have other sheep, too, that are not in this sheepfold. And I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice, and there will be one flock with one shepherd. So on this whole topic of salvation, eternal life, who's in, who's out, who's saved, who's not, Jesus here in this moment has two really powerful things to say. Two really powerful things to say, the first of which is this. The first thing Jesus seems to say on this topic of salvation, one of the reforms he is trying to make to the way in which we typically conceive of eternal life and salvation is Jesus has sheep that we don't know about or have a tendency to write off. Here in John chapter 10, Jesus seems to be communicating that he's got sheep, he's got people, he's got children, he's actively involved in their life who we don't know about, we've never seen, we're not hearing about it, or we have a tendency to write them off because they don't check the same denominational, theological, political boxes as we do. So today I'm going to push you a little bit. Is that okay? kind of has to be okay because, well, I've got the microphone. But I think there are very real implications for what Jesus is saying. Very real practical implications for your life of what Jesus is saying. The first is this. I think the first implication is that what this means, what this means is whether you like it or not, whether you sign off on it or not, Jesus has sheep, Jesus has people, Jesus has children, he's actively involved in their life who inhabit different theological and or political beliefs than you do. You may not like it, but Jesus has got people of different theological, political, denominational perspectives that he's caring for and tending to as well. Kyle, how do you know? Well, I know personally, because every single time I make fun of a Southern Baptist with a lower back tattoo, every time one is sent into my life to show me grace and kindness and love and reverse my view of them in totality. Normally, uh, this is a family member of mine who just strolls in and completely eradicates my perception of what that person or that tribe is. And you want to know why that is? It's because one of the things that I've come to know about Jesus is that he doesn't have to agree with all of the things that make up a cause to care about all of the people within the cause. Does that make sense? Thank God, right? I have journals that I used to use in high school, and sometimes I read them to... Uh, embarrass myself, and um, sometimes I read them, and I'm like, I, I, I believed that was true. And Jesus stayed engaged. 
kept pursuing after me, kept running after me. And what that did is it convinced me that that means that people who I am just on completely polar opposite ends of the spectrum from on any type of issue, Jesus doesn't have to agree with the larger cause to care for and love and actively pursue the people inside of it. That's who he is. That's who he is. I'll give you another implication. I'm going to push you again. Okay? I'm going to push you again. Another implication to this is that if Jesus has sheepfolds, if he's got sheep, he's got people uh, who don't belong to this sheepfold, they're elsewhere, so we don't know about them, uh, and we have a typically a tendency to write them off, then what that means is the other implication is that means that Jesus also has sheepfolds. He also has people he's actively tending to who inhabit different religions all together. People who, by no fault of their own, were born into a particular place in a particular geographical region of the world where the only real option available to them was to become Muslim or Buddhist or Hindu, you name it. Kyle, like... Okay, so like... I hear you, but this sounds like sometimes what I hear on TV or I read about, like when people say all religions are the same. Is that what you're saying? Good. I'm glad um, you asked that question or I asked that question on your behalf in order to prove my point. Because no, I actually don't believe that. I actually do not believe that all religions are the same. I don't believe you can conflate them all down. I, don't, I actually do not believe that to be true. But here's what I do believe. Here's what I do believe. Right now, today, at this very second, there are 7.9 billion people on this planet. 7.9 billion. That's just right now. So we're not even talking about all the people who used to exist, who have passed away, who lived hundreds of years ago. We're not talking about any of them. We're just talking about right now, there's 7.9 billion people who live on planet Earth. Anyone want to take a guess as to how many of them identify as Christian? I'll buy you Skittles or M&M's. Give me a number. Somebody give me a number. I don't know what 5% of 7.9 billion is. My pastor, not a math lecturer. What you got? It's a good guess, 50%. 2.3 billion. You both get Skittles. 2.3 billion people identify as Christian. So I can do that math. That means that over 5 million, sorry, 5 billion people, 5 billion people do not identify with the Christian faith. So let's just, let's just flip the script, okay? If you're the parent of these 5 billion people, if you are the divine parent of all these billions of people, these five billion people who don't ascribe to the true, the one faith, what do you do? The men are like, uh, get a vasectomy. Uh, no, that's inappropriate. Inappropriate. Um, what do you do? What do you do? Tough luck? Do you just say to them, sorry, uh, would love to love you? would love to care about you, would love to do something for you. You just so happen to be born in a pocket of the world where you didn't hear the real message, Ugh, just a lottery pick, Whew, that stinks. 
Any loving, caring parent knows that there ain't nothing, ain't nothing you won't do to reach a wayward child. And friends, we see this in Scripture. This is exactly who the God in Jesus is. In John chapter 1, I love the message translation. It says that Jesus took on our skin, took on our flesh, and moved into the neighborhood. That isn't who Jesus was. That's who Jesus is. So what that means is that Jesus is always doing that, always incarnating himself into our situations, into our neighborhoods, into our worldviews, so as to transform the world from the inside out. And so you better believe, you better believe that with those five billion kids that God's trying to reach, by the way, that's not to say that all 2.3 billion Christians have their whole faith life together, another subject, but you better believe Jesus finding creative and strategic ways to infiltrate their customs, their rituals, their prayer practices, even if it looks radically different than ours. I have to believe in a Jesus who is using what he's got to sort of infiltrate and share truth, even if it, again, comes by way of a different ritual or a practice or a different cultural custom, you name it. Because otherwise, you're left with a God, you're left with a divine parent who doesn't care about the eternal destiny of three-fourths of his family. And I just refuse to believe that. I refuse to believe that. I'll push you one more time. Push you one more time. There's one more implication that I think it's important that we tease out um, explicitly. If it's true that Jesus has sheep folds, sheep of people that we don't know about, that, we're, that we typically discount, discredit, then I also believe it is possible that Jesus has sheep folds, he has people, he has children, he's actively engaging who don't believe at all. They're not religious at all. They're not spiritual at all. Put that, uh, Kevin, go ahead and put that uh, picture back up there. Of the 7.9 billion, you know how many are non-religious? 1.1 billion. Not as big of a number, but that's a lot of people. That's a lot of atheist agnostic folks sort of running around. And I have to believe that God gives, cares, loves them enough to find creative, maybe even non-religious or non-traditional ways to infiltrate and reach them, pursue after them, captivate them in some way. If not now, then maybe later. Kyle, but how do you know that? Like, how do you know that's true? Because it's my story. Growing up, like, I had zero, very little interest in faith, very little interest in going to church, very little interest in youth group. I had very, zero devotion to Jesus. The only things I was devoted to in high school were Blink-182 and Mike's Hard Lemonade. That's it. End of the list. Period. Done. That's it. And in the back of a van, down by the river, in the back of a van, in the middle of a soccer tournament, in the 
smack dab in the middle of Orlando, Florida, surrounded by strangers, God woke me up. God spoke to me. God brought the dead parts of me alive, the sleeping parts awake. I didn't initiate jack squat. Jesus did. And I think sometimes what we do here in the church is we, we, we have those stories, we have those really powerful conversion moments, and we're like, man, like Jesus must really love me. And he does, and everybody else. That thing he did for you, that thing he did for me, he's doing all the time with everyone else. You just don't hear about it. You don't see it. That person doesn't tell you about it. They're like teenagers. When you try to tell teenagers, how was your day? Fine. Like, this is like, this is the way human beings are. They don't share. They just have this really transformative experience. They just sit on it. This is what human beings do, especially those who are not ready yet. They're not fully open to this Jesus person yet, which makes sense, right? Again, Many of you who are tuning in today or you're here today, this is personal. This is personal. You've got people in your life right now, friends, family members, children, parents, coworkers. You've got people in your life who you care about so, so, so much. And yet they either don't have any sort of belief system or they believe radically differently than you. And you ready for the good news? You came for some good news today, right? You want some good news. The good news to receive and to revel and to celebrate today is the good news of the gospel, which is this. All the people in your life that have different beliefs or you don't know where they stand with God and you don't know if they're saved and all that good stuff, here's the good news. God loves them so much more than you do. God has been actively involved in their life way longer than you have. God is speaking to them showing things to them, revealing things to them all the time that you, some of which you'll never see, you'll never know. Why? Because that's who God is. That's who Jesus is. Acts chapter 10 is the, is the, is the story that just sort of like blows the doors off of this. It's the story of Peter's conversion, his like second conversion, where he's hanging out on this rooftop, he falls asleep, and he's hungry when he falls asleep, which never a good uh, decision because then you're going to have weird dreams, which he does. So there's a weird dream of this, like, bed sheet coming down out of heaven. And in the middle of the bed sheet, there's, like, all these animals that he's not been allowed to eat, which I always just, like, imagine bacon. It was, like, chilling there in the middle. That's a Judaism joke. Anyway, um, and the voice from God says, take and eat. Take and eat. He's like, yo, like, I'm not allowed to do that. You said I couldn't do that. And he's like, no, don't, let, don't call anything I've made unclean. And so Peter wakes up and he goes, oh, man. This doesn't just apply to the things that I eat. This applies to everything. For the longest time, he believed that only the Jewish folks were the ones experiencing salvation and eternal life. And in a moment, God says, I'm pursuing after those Gentiles, too. And so Peter writes this. I see very clearly. I can see clearly now. I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. 
if there was something that the Christian church needed to root out immediately, if not sooner, it is favoritism. How often do you hang out with other Christians and it's like, hmm, like I'm saved, but like I don't know about Stacy. See your Instagram? that's who God is, then I'm not interested. I'm not interested. If, there's, if God only loves part of this globe, part of his children, I'm not interested. That's a crappy divine parent, if I'm being honest. So I'll close here. I'll close here. Here's the best advice I got for you. Here's the best advice I got for you. If you showed up to worship today and you're like, okay, um, I'm trying to figure out, you know, what to believe uh, when it comes to salvation, here's the best thing I got. When it comes to God's plans for salvation and eternal life, the best advice I got for you is be prepared to be surprised. Just be prepared to be surprised. And I mean that in two ways. Be prepared to be surprised by who God is actively working in, God is actively saving, God is actively using in the world, which is always just like really good rule of thumb anyway. Like it's a really good sort of rule to practice anyway because you don't want to sort of show up in the life to come and have that awkward exchange of seeing them face to face and being shocked by it. Like, you, babe, babe. Stacy. I know, yeah, the Instagram. Hi. No, like prepare now so that it's not awkward. Just at least you can be cool about it. Yo, I knew you were going to be here. I didn't. I did. I said, I told, I told Randy. He knows. Come on, let's go. It'll make for a much less awkward exchange in the life to come. But more importantly, more importantly, It'll get you to stop writing people off based off of some explicit or implicit rule that existed in your mind that someone gave you as to who qualifies for salvation and who doesn't. It'll shift your entire perspective to start seeing every single person, every single family member, every single people group in this entire world as an active mission field being engaged by God right now in ways in which you can't see or understand or appreciate. So be prepared to be surprised by the who. Also, be prepared to be surprised by the what. What things you did in life that actually ended up mattering the most to God. There's this interesting passage uh, in Matthew chapter 7 where uh, the hyper-religious folks, the saved, show up and they sort of like skip over to Jesus and say, Jesus, like, look at all the things we did and like, look at all the people we converted and look at all the sort of miracles we performed. And like, so, where's our mansion? Where's our mansion? Is that the mansion? Is that ours? Is that one? Is that ours? And Jesus says, bro, I never knew you. 
earlier in that same gospel in a Sermon on the Mount, he says, you will be tempted in your spiritual life, in your faith life, to view so much of it as performance. Trying to get other people to see it. Social media makes it so much worse. Look at my devotions this morning. Um, it's, it's so tempting to make everything you do performance. For God to see, for other people to see, for that hyper-religious family member person to see. And Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, says this. He says, don't do none of that. Go lock yourself in your closet and talk to me. That's what I want. That's what I'm after. It's intimacy. It's connection. It's communion. So be prepared. Be prepared that when you pass from this life to the next, be prepared that the things that ended up mattering the most to God were not all the service projects you did, but they were the moments of quiet devotion where you made yourself available to hear the voice of Jesus speak to you. It wasn't all the times that you read scripture or you read in front of other people at small groups so they could see how great you perf- uh, can pronounce the name Abimelech or whatever. It was the time when you allowed yourself to be late to a meeting because you got interrupted by a stranger who needed your help. I think what you're going to find and you need to be prepared for is that the moments that mattered the most to God were not the moments where you're trying to prove your Christianness. But they are the moments when you are willing to resist the temptation to pride, to dishonesty, and you chose to be faithful instead. You're not going to get a lot of applause for it here on earth. I promise you that. But scripture does seem to say that every single time you do it, you'll entertain uh, the likes of angels. You'll entertain the likes of God himself. And you'll be a whole lot closer to that Jesus than you ever imagined. Thank you for listening to the Peak Podcast. Make sure you subscribe wherever podcasts can be found. For more information on how to get connected with our church, please visit us at thepeakchurch.org.